gang. Welcome to another exciting episode of National Bugle Radio on the Republic Broadcasting Network. RBN Republic Broadcasting.org. It's the back-to-back of free speech. We are going to record back-to-back uh, my show for Friday and then Paul Stevenson's show for uh, Saturday. And we are going to get going right now, except I have to show first. Go to uh, republicbroadcasting.org, click on the donate button, send badly needed fundage to 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Round Rock, Texas, 78664. Phone it in 2-1-800-724-2719, extension 3. Operators are standing by. Oh! Okay, Paul, so uh, are you ready for this? Well, I hope so. I'm as ready as I'm going to be. There you go. All right, what do you want to start with? There's so much going on. Yeah, there is so much going on. It's, uh, it literally is uh, almost impossible to keep up with it all. Um, just I'll just run down a few things that I've mentioned which are pertinent to what's going on. Uh, of course, you had... I don't know why you caught it, but obviously... Um, the Zionists haven't uh, humbled themselves when it comes to the um, International Court of Justice, although the International Court of Justice, of course, uh, didn't uh, do what it should have done, but it was still a, a shot across the bow to uh, the Zionists. But they had a conference where they were celebrating and uh, calling for the um, displacement of the Palestinians, ethnic cleansing, basically, and then uh, to build... Uh, uh, Israeli settlements on there, so uh, we don't need to be conspiracy theorists anymore. When uh, we've been talking about that very thing since this whole October seventh occurred, they uh, they just basically have uh, have a conference where they call for it. Uh, Smotrich, is it Smotrich? Am I pronouncing his name right? Um, I wouldn't. I don't know. It, what, well, what's listening in the government? He's an extreme Zionist. Uh, you know. They, they, they call him extreme far right. He's just a consistent Zionist, really. Um, and he is part of uh, Netanyahu's government. This guy has a history of terrorism as well. So we had that. Um, yeah, the EU threats to Hungary over the, I think, 60, is it 62 billion or 50 billion, 52 billion, something like that, for, uh, to Ukraine. Uh, Hungary, unfortunately, had to capitulate. And I think. Uh, we can have some sympathy for Orban, considering the pressure that he was under there and the threats that were made to him were just staggering. So there you have uh, the lovely EU, which is essentially just an authoritarian um, block. Uh, so they have to get everybody to agree before they can, you know, uh, confirm these aid packages. And Hungary was unwilling to do so, but you know, uh, capitulated to the pressure, uh, I think yesterday. So, okay. well, well, let's, uh, there's a lot, let's, let's go back to the Israel thing. So Smotrich, he is the finance minister. So he's a big deal in the cabinet and, um, a young guy. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of this, I'm just going off of, off the young. fly. Yeah. At 43. Oh, okay. Looks well. You never know with these people, um, and uh, so they. So he was at a conference, and he's he is an orth you know orthodox. He's very religious, and what you've got in in 
Israel is you've got this, uh, you, you have a divide between, um, the kind of, uh, well, extremely religious, uh, messianic Jews who are hell bent on building the third temple and all this stuff, honestly, uh, five months ago, like a month before the, the shooting started a month before the, uh, Hamas uh, laid down the gauntlet. Uh, I, I had a, a friend who kept sending me all this stuff about uh, the Israelis go- are going to tear down the Al-Aqsa Mosque and uh, and build a third temple. And you know they've they've they're genetically breeding red heifers, weird stuff like that. But uh, you know this this is actually happening, and there you do have in Israeli politics the way it's. The way it works, and we can get into that a bit, uh, the religious extremist parties have outsized influence. And so they're extremely influential in, uh, in Netanyahu's government. And, you know, you, you do have this divide. Netanyahu has to get allies where he can get allies. And so you got the, the divide in Israeli society between the, the extremely religious, uh, fanatics. And then the, uh, it's not as if the rest of Israel's not fanatics, but they're, they're a different kind of fanatic, you know, more, more secular. Yeah. I was going to say there was a poll done. Um, well, I think four out of 10 Israelis agree with them. So, you know, it's not, they they like to label, you know, people of Smotrich's, um, ilk as extremists, but. His views are actually more prevalent among the Israeli population at large than is actually communicated to us here in the West. The four in ten agree with what's happening in Gaza and that the place should be ethnically cleansed, essentially, and there should be, you know, uh, Israeli settlements built on the carnage uh, that we've witnessed over the last three months. So, okay, you could say, well, you know, maybe some of them, you know, are looking at this is maybe it's understandable. Maybe it is because they want security. They don't want Hamas on their doorstep or whatever. But like I said, there's more support for these, what's described as extreme views and then than is what is portrayed in Western media. But it's an embarrassment because after the international court of justice, at least suggested they needed to curb their behavior and that this will be monitored or whatever their, you know, kind of ruling was. It's, uh, um, they, they, they basically, you know, this, this conference was a display of complete disregard for uh, the whole international community. And it is an embarrassment to Western leaders, even including the United States, which keep maintaining this line that um, there needs to be a two-state solution. And there's, there's, uh, there's never going to be a two-state solution, I don't think, because you've essentially got these Zionists who want to ethnically cleanse that whole region, including the West Bank, and they're there being terrorists there. They can get do whatever they want to. Uh, the Palestinians in the West Bank as well, with impunity for the most part. And uh, then you've got Hamas, who are basically digging in, literally, and saying, no, this is our land. And uh, so I can't see how this is going to get resolved with any two-state solution. It's impossible, I think, you know. Well, I mean, one way or another, there's going to be some sort of uh, equilibrium reached, uh, for at least temporarily. Uh, so, 
you know, you could have a two state um, resolution. I'm not solution might be the wrong word. I don't know. Like solution uh, is cognate with the word solve. Uh, I don't know if things are going to get solved. There's resolved. Uh, maybe that's a little bit better. Uh, uh, the, the, you know what I foresee is the longer this goes on, the worse it is for Israel because because Israel's becoming increasingly isolated. Even the Biden administration, even the State Department, uh, is is uh, at least parts of some people in the State Department are having trouble with this. Uh, Victoria Newland, who I think is the most supportive of any war anywhere, uh, but she's she's at least partly preoccupied with Ukraine. But uh, yeah, I think Victoria Newland and and uh, some other super Jews in the uh, State Department are probably willing to uh, to do whatever it takes to support Israel. But uh, you got somebody like Anthony Blinken, and Anthony Blinken, who's Jewish and who went over uh, a few days after October seventh, went over to Israel and told Netanyahu he's not there just as the American Secretary of State, he's also there as a Jew. Uh, at the same time, Anthony Blinken got his position as Secretary of State because uh, he had worked on the Biden campaign. I, I think he's a little bit more tuned into the uh, U.S. domestic politics than uh, Victoria Newland. I mean, both of them have had careers at the State Department. They're both career State Department people, and they're they're about the same age. They have a lot of similar experiences. But uh, when they were in the wilderness during the Trump administration, Victoria Newland was doing think tank stuff, um, scheming for more wars upon a uh, you know a hopeful return to uh, to power. Whereas Anthony Blinken was working with the Biden on the Biden campaign. I think he's a little bit more tuned into the domestic politics and the domestic politics. This is just, uh, uh, this is not portending well for any kind of, uh, any kind of reelection for, for the Biden unit, the Biden thing. And, uh, and without, without a reelection, they're going to be out in the wilderness again. It seems that, that, Blinken is is trying to do something to um, salvage a second term for for Biden, whereas Newland wants to use this last year. They're only going to be in 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 our office for one more year. Well, they might as well go pedal to the metal and uh, and do the World War Three thing. That's that's kind of my reading of what's going on. Uh, and so Israel is getting isolated. And and uh, you've got the Biden administration, at least elements of it, that are are trying to to clamp down on on Israel. But Netanyahu is out there saying, well, um, a, a prime minister, uh, we like to say yes when we can, but we're going to say no when we when we want to. So, yeah, I'll kick it back to you, Paul. Yeah, well, Victoria Newland epitomizes, you know, Jewish aggression. Uh, she doesn't know, you know, it's uh, all gas, no brakes, as uh, you guys say over there. And, uh, you know, she is um, a psychopath, and uh, she's out of control. 
And whereas, and I agree with you, she, she you know, she just, her, her, the way she looks at it is she thinks we are the United States, we control the United States, i.e. Jews control the United States, and we will do what we want. Everyone's terrified of us, and I'm, you know, I'm very happy about that, and I'm very willing at every opportunity to exercise that power. And um, where, where she's doing the same, we'll get to that later, but she's doing the same thing over, she's just flown over to Kiev to try and resolve the situation. Well, basically to put uh, Zaluzhny in his place and, um, mm -hmm. you know, to, to support her, her brother over there, Zelensky. But where, where, where is his place, by the way? If She's putting mm -hmm. him in his place. Where's his place? Well, there's been this... Um, rift between Zelensky and Zeluzhny, where Zelensky has tried to fire Zeluzhny, and then he's had to sort of um, retract that and uh, pull back from that, because Zeluzhny's very popular among the military in Ukraine, and among more popular than Zelensky in, among the population of Ukraine as well, so he's had to withdraw that, um, and then Zeluzhny was asked to resign and refused to resign. So here you have the head of the military and the commander-in-chief Zelensky at odds. And so it looked like Zeluzhny... It, it really is Game of Thrones stuff going on out there. Uh, you had one of the Zeluzhny's um, uh, people was, was, was poisoned. And it, it looked like, for all intents and purposes, that Zelensky could be in his last legs. And Zeluzhny was essentially... Um, perhaps on the brink of uh, perpetrating some kind of coup or certainly causing a lot of problems for Zelensky anyway. So Newland getting wind of this, and Zelensky's her guy, of course, she, she flew over to uh, Kiev. And it looks like, whereas Zeluzhny looked like he was on the brink of, you know, maybe, like I say, maybe even, you know, committing a coup against uh, Zelensky. It looks like now Zeluzhny will be resigning. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't know what Victoria Newland does over there, this woman who goes over there. Um, I don't know how she managed specifically to influence that situation, but it looks like Zelensky will prevail. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. And then, yeah, Blinken, I, I find, you know, I find Blinken a strange character. He always looks kind of haunted. He looks like he's scared all the time. Um, and I don't know whether he's a troubled man. I, I, I presume his instincts are for what's best for jury. And I think he's sagacious enough to recognize that this kind of Victoria Newland all-out aggression approach could well backfire um, on Israel. And he, he doesn't seem to think... I, I believe he doesn't seem to think that's the the best approach because I think he's like I said he's got enough sagacity to to recognize that Israel is so aggressive that it could blow back on them and you know may, maybe rather than the Israelis building settlements on in Gaza maybe maybe five years from now uh, the Palestinians will be building rebuilding their settlements on what was previously Israel I don't know but um, there's a lot of stuff going on and uh over to Zelensky again. You know, he was in Brussels, uh, sorry, in Germany yesterday, and he's got this uh, this money now after um, uh, Orban has capitulated. 
And of course, immediately thanked everyone for the money and said, but we need more weapons. But incredibly, and I, I saw this story, while he was in Germany, he urged Germany, and I kid you not, he urged Germany to stop spending so much money and so much of German funds on Ukrainian refugees. And he urged Germany to divert the cash to, the, to Ukraine instead. Um, in other words, stop giving all these Ukrainian refugees in Germany all this money. Give it to me instead. And he said that he would distribute the, uh, the funds himself, depending on each, each person's whereabouts and needs. And laughably, I mean, you could not get anything more Jewish than this. He argued that the scheme would make um, uh, the aid more transparent. So send the money over to me, and don't worry, I'll make sure all the Ukrainians who, who need it or who are in need get the money, and it'll be more transparent if you send it to Kiev, you know? <laughs> also, though, uh, a lot of the refugees are males, and, and he, he's also reached the point where they're ready to draft females. And so the Ukrainian refugee problem uh, is is a problem for Zelensky, right? Because Zelensky wants wants these people brought back to Ukraine. He he doesn't want them to have an easy life in Europe. He wants them. Uh, he he wants cooperation from these governments in sending uh, Ukrainians back to Ukraine so he can feed them into the uh, meat slaughter. What do you call the meat grinder? Meat grinder. But I, I honestly, I mean. This guy's popularity, I think, I think, unless you're just completely and utterly, hopelessly, permanently indoctrinated with this uh, nonsense that we've seen with this guy being, you know, presented as some sort of Churchillian figure, most people see this guy for what he is, just a completely, you know, a complete audacious, chancing little scumbag scam artist. But to go to Germany and say, you know, don't be giving these refugees, the uh, Ukrainian refugees money, send it over to me. And uh, it'll, I'll make sure they get they get what they need, and it'll be more transparent. I mean, send it to Ukraine, the Wild West, you know. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it really, it, 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 uh, as soon as you think that you've, you, you've, you've seen it all and heard it all with this level of uh, audacity, what is, I don't even, I, I'm lost for words for it, you know, but, I mean, this guy is a, is a complete piece of work. But anyway... He was looking a bit depressed in the last few, a few weeks. Uh, Victoria Newland flew over there, and he's looking chirpy again. And he's got his money from the EU, and immediately said, "Okay, thank you for the money, but we need more weapons." Well, I'll tell you what, we're just giving you fifty-eight billion. Go and buy some, and stop selling them when they arrive there. Well, and you know, you do have reports. What to make of them? I I don't know, but you do have reports that some of these. Uh, Mexican human trafficking gangs that effectively control the American southern border have weapons uh, that, lo and behold, they're, they're, they are American weapons that have been sent to Ukraine. I don't know if that's true or not. But... Uh Keep out, Otsman. 
that says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race and the fact that race drives history and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, you know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's the Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pasture-raised meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork raised the way nature intended. been sent to ukraine i don't know if that's true or not but uh a couple of points i'd like to make one about Zelensky, one about newland so Zelensky, uh he was elected president ironically on a uh on a platform of making peace with russia but he was he was elected in his race against petro poroshenko poroshenko who had uh who had entered into 
Minsk agreements, agreements with uh, Russia to resolve this by um, uh, ceasing their oppression of ethnic Russian speakers, which he has, uh, in the meantime, he has come out and said, yeah, yeah, I entered those agreements just so that I could have time to build up the military in order to fight Russia. I I never had any intention of carrying them out. He said that, and uh, both... uh, then French President François Hollande uh, had has said the same thing that there was never any intention of honoring their commitments. And uh, then German Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel has said the exact same things. All, th- all three of them have said, "Yeah, well, yeah, we just we lied to Putin. We never had any intention of carrying it out." But somehow Putin's the bad guy anyway. But at any rate. Um, Zelensky was elected on a platform of uh, improving relations with Russia, and he was elected in a landslide. He even, well, he not even, he especially got votes from the areas of Ukraine that were the most uh, pro-Russian. Okay, so that's something to remember. And he, when was his inauguration? I think his inauguration was the end of March. His five-year term ends sometime in March. Now, he has been saying that uh, there's a clause in the Ukrainian constitution that says during a state of emergency or during time of war, I think it's a state of emergency, that elections cannot take place. Okay, So, so there are no elections scheduled. His term is going to run out next month. And... Uh, now, I've been predicting for the past uh, 18 months now, since the summer of 2022, that Zelensky could be overthrown by his generals at any time. He could be overthrown at any time, but at protect, particular, I was looking at the generals because uh, it's been clear since the summer of 2022 that the, the Ukrainian military was just suffering massive losses, massive manpower losses that Zelensky's uh, his strategy has has been to uh, just sacrifice the military's human capital, make massive sacrifices just to hold on to pieces for, for geography. For geography, that you know, the thing is, the the, the Russians uh, at the end of the summer they gave up um, positions in Kharkov and in Kherson. Uh, they gave up land that they're going to get back in exchange for Ukraine, which was giving up massive military personnel that they will never get back unless, you know, Jesus wants to raise them from the dead or something. I'm not I'm not trying to be uh, a sacrilegious or anything, but uh, that was that was Zelensky. And sometimes if you're consistent, even like a, a stopped clock, uh, you'll be right twice a day. Uh, so. So it looks as it looks to some people, including Alexander Mercurius, that Zelensky uh, might have been trying to uh, hold on until the end of uh, uh, Zelensky's official term, and then that would have created a pretext for a military coup. Well, okay, uh, there haven't been elections held. Okay, you can't hold elections, but his his term has expired, so. Certainly, he'll, he'll have less legitimacy at that point. So that was one thing I wanted to say. Uh, do you have anything 
to, to say about that before I say my piece about um, uh, about Victoria Newland. Well, you mentioned Alexander McCurris there. Yeah, that's exactly right. And he speculated that um, that it's it, it's not he it's it's not you know in stone that that uh, provision that you mentioned in wartime is actually the case in Ukrainian law and in their constitution. And therefore, this was the problem with this illusionary with the tension there, and they don't like each other, and they've disagreed on on military strategy, etc. But personally, they don't like each other either. So Zelensky's anxiety was that once his term is up, that Zeluzhny would make a move and say that there is no provision in the Ukrainian constitution for to cancel elections. And therefore, Zelensky is, is, is after the, the 31st of March, is an illegitimate president. And we need to have elections. And in the meantime, as the, you know, uh, military general, he could commit a coup by by claiming that you know it's a, a kind of more of a legitimate coup by claiming that Zelensky is an illegitimate president at this point. You know, and when you get down to it, are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise from flags to T-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support the network. Support Dixie Republic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com and let them know that RBN sent you. Here's some interesting news. Due to all the recent claims about possible nuclear wars, viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest, people are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food. But the one thing out of reach for many is an underground bunker. Until now. Because you can now have a 3D-printed underground bunker in just one day. An excavator digs a hole in your backyard, and 3DBunkers.com shows up in a small truck and sets up their 3D printer under a tent completely undetected. They can 
print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers. 3D Bunkers uses polymer concrete, which is five times stronger than regular cement. YouTube 3DBunkers.com and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3DBunkers.com for more details or visit 3DBunkers.com. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. military general he could commit a coup by by claiming that you know it's a kind of more of a legitimate coup by claiming that Zelensky is an illegitimate president at this point you know and when you get down to it uh every 10 years or so you get you get something like this in ukraine right so the maidan revolution was a coup uh, a cia backed coup that overthrew viktor yanukovych in early 2014 we're 10 years out from the Maidan coup. We're 20 years out from the Orange Revolution, which, again, was a color revolution. It, it was the orange color. And, uh, you know, that's a, a color revolution. This over um, this didn't overthrow Yanukovych, but it denied him an election. So there had been an election that had been run. Yanukovych had won, but... Uh, there were there was this color revolution that, that demanded a, a uh, rerun of the election, and so you had a rerun, and then uh, uh, Viktor Yushchenko, his his rival, uh, was said to have won the, the the rematch. You know, and then of course you go back another dozen years or so, and that's when you're getting the uh, the the dismemberment of the Soviet Union, where Ukraine played a major role in that. So it's it's about time. It's about Ukraine is due for some sort of extra constitutional uh, transfer of power. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, this but, is. Hmm. It looks like Victoria Nuland, whatever she's done when she's over there, that has all changed. So, uh, well, according to uh, uh, Mercurius again, who you mentioned, um, he, he seems to think that it's now imminent that uh, Zeluzhny will be resigning and will be out of the picture. So. I mean, I, I don't know the mechanics of it, but, you know, Zeluzhny, apparently, one of the other problems within the military, of the Ukrainian military, is that there's a kind of a military within a military, and that the best guys 
uh, are with Saluzhny. And apparently, I don't know whether they're, you know, as uh, considered to be as like ultra nationalists as, say, some of the Azov battalion, but Saluzhny is apparently pretty nationalistic. And he has his own little army within the army who are pretty extreme nationalists and they are considered to be more the elite force. So this was another concern for Zelensky because Zelensky, of course, with the Azov battalion and, and the actual nationalists, which shouldn't uh, surprise you considering, you know, Zelensky's loyalties are to his tribe, not to any nation like, like those people are. Um, this is apparently a concern for him because, you know, Zelensky's got his own little army within an army of kind of more of the elite forces, the best fighters, the best trained and the, and the most gifted guys. And that was also a concern um, as well. So, I, you know, Zelensky, if he's got his own little army over there, what's he, what's he so worried about Victoria Newland? I, I don't understand, you know, it's, I don't understand what she's done. Well, we can see, you know, if Zelensky does resign, but, you know, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, he's got his own army. Victoria Newland throws her weight around essentially because of, you know, she's got the power of the of the United States and what sanctions and the U.S. military, which is not all it's cracked up to be, you know, in reality. Um, so I, I don't know why she is a, is allowed to throw her weight around like like she does. And by the way, talking about the the more nationalistic uh, elements of Ukraine. That plane that was shot down, um, there are stories out there that the plane that was shot down with the uh, Ukrainian POWs in it, which is a tragic story. I mean, you get through the war, you've been captured, um, you're returning home, and your, your plane shot down, killing everybody on board. I think it was about 60 uh, Ukrainian soldiers, POWs. It was shot down on the border, I think, over Belgrade. It was on Russian territory. Um Apparently, that plane was also con uh, full of the Azov battalion guys. So, I mean, it's uh, I haven't seen any confirmation of that, but I've heard, I think it was, it was Max Blumenthal, I think, uh, alluded to that and suggested that might have been a possibility, in which case that's probably no accident, you know, because here comes, you know, a plane full of uh, people that Zelensky, again, has had problems with, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Uh what does it even mean to be an uh, extreme nationalist in, in Ukraine? Exactly. And, yeah, they would probably, if we were in Ukraine, if we were out there, they'd be calling us extreme nationalists. So basically, it just probably means just nationalists. But, and, you know, the thing is, the uh, extreme nationalism, it's supposed to be uh, a product of the western part of Ukraine. Well, the eastern part of Ukraine... Uh, Self-identification is, and I'm not an expert on this, but you have you have people who speak Russian. You have somewhere to between I don't know, like forty or sixty percent of the population actually speaks Russian as their first language. Uh, Zelensky, I think the Jews, the Jews speak Russian. Uh, maybe maybe some spoke Ukrainian, but I think Ukrainian as a a language to the extent it's a distinct language it is it's close to russian to the extent it's a distinct language it's it's more peasant it's more um uh it close got more polish influence 
Polish and Russian are Slavic languages, uh, but Polish is a lot more related to, say, Czech than it is to Russian. Uh, so Ukrainian is, it, I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what to say, but a Ukrainian is probably akin to something like a very rural, perhaps, you know, southern accent, the, the type of thing that you might hear in, in Alabama in the United States, if you're using the context of the United States, uh, that it's, you know, it, it might be hard for, if you, if you go to, and it may be less so now than it was uh, 60 years ago. I know my my parents lived in the Deep South, uh, you know, about 65 years ago. And my mother got these phone calls and she'd pick up the phone call and uh, and somebody would be saying things to her. And she kept saying, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Please repeat that. Well, eventually she figured out that this was somebody who was calling and saying lewd things and liked her voice. And she kept saying, could you repeat that, please? <laughs> because she couldn't understand. Um, I, I, I remember going up to uh, Glasgow in uh, 40 years ago. I went up to Glasgow and I'd be asking directions, uh, you know, and I, I couldn't understand the uh, the, the Scots and the the say things two or three times and I just smile eventually because I, I, I couldn't, but, it, but Ukrainian is, is something like that. And when you think of, so in the, for instance, in the deep South, you have people, especially in rural areas who speak in a way that's, that's hard for somebody from the East coast to understand. But, you know, there are Jews in the South and the Jews in the South aren't likely to speak like that. They're likely to speak much more uh, similar to the East Coast people. And I'm doing my best. I'm not a I'm not a Slav Slavic language uh, uh, aficionado. I studied some Russian. But uh, but at any rate, the I think the nationalist sentiment is a lot stronger in the West, close to Poland. And if you look at the, the map and the areas that were part of Ukraine um, when when this all started. Well, some of it in the East, these were part of the Romanov Empire. These were um, part of the Soviet Union when it was founded after World War One. There's other parts that um, were not part of the Soviet Union between the wars, between the First and Second World War, that were part of Poland or smaller parts that are, were part of uh, Romania or Hungary between the wars. That they, Some of those areas may have been part of the Romanov Russian Empire, but, there is, but also some of those areas were part of, uh, if you go back a few centuries, were part of uh, Poland again earlier. Because remember, Poland... In what uh, was, it, was it about 1790? It was dismembered and broken up between Prussia and Russia and Austria, Austro-Hungary. Uh, you know the uh, the um, Habsburg Empire. So, like the map in that region has been changing a lot, and big parts of that region. Uh, you know the 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 city of Lvov, for instance, which is the most. Um, I guess it's the 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 most. Ukrainian city in Ukraine, um, and and then you look at a city like, uh, well, like Kharkov, which is in the east. 
very often those two cities were not in the same political unit. They were in, they were in different countries or different empires. So there's a, very, a lot of different histories there. And, um, you know, if you're a, yeah, you know, you, last thing I'll say, if, if you look at nationalism, uh, there's, it, it can take two different directions. One is what you would call revanchist. If that's revanchist, it means you're trying to acquire more land, land that you have any kind of tenuous uh, claim to, that you, you're trying to expand. That's a revanchist uh, uh, nationalism. And when you do that, you wind up incorporating into your 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 expanded territory. You're incorporating people that don't share your ethnicity. And then you, on the one hand, and on the other hand, there's like separatist nationalism where you're trying to uh, – carve out a smaller territory that's going to be exclusively yours. And it seems that the going into this affair, uh, the nationalism in Ukraine was a, was one that wanted maximum territory, which is a territory that in, they had inherited upon the breakup of the Soviet union. They, they didn't need any uh, more territory, but they wanted to impose their, uh, their, their language and their um, self-identification on everyone else. They, so the laws that were passed immediately after the Maidan coup uh, uh, demoted the Russian language, so it was no longer a, an official language of Ukraine, and uh, and uh, de- deprived uh, Russian language schools and things like that. But after that's now untenable. There's no way that they're going to be imposing a Ukrainian on um, Kherson. They're certainly not going to be imposing it on uh, Zaporozhia or or the Donbass, you know, Donetsk and Lugansk. That's never going to happen. And so, what I'm wondering is if the uh, the hyper nationalism is now going to say, okay, well, let's give up those areas uh, and have a smaller Ukraine, but a Ukraine that's going to be Ukrainian where, where our nationalism can exist. Because at this, at this point, there's, there's the prospect of the entirety of what was Ukraine a, a couple of years ago being broken up, Russia taking the bulk of it and effectively russifying it. And then the remainder being snatched up by Poland or, and smaller parts by Romania and Hungary. So that, that was my long spiel kick it back to you, Paul. Well, well, Putin has, because they keep pouring more and more weapons into Ukraine, and at the start, if you remember, there was no long-range weapons, and, and then it was, okay, we'll, we'll send you longer-range weapons, but you're not allowed to use them in Russian territory. Um, but there, there are longer-range weapons in Ukraine now that can reach Russian territory, and Putin came out yesterday, I think, or the day before, and it's basically said that they're going to have to, you know, expand their their territory, uh, their reach into, you know, Western Ukraine. So it's impossible, you know, for weapons to reach Russian territory. And this was always a possibility. And so in other words, they're going to have to march further and further west to demilitarize uh, as, as far west as, as he deems uh, fit, so that um, there's no possibility of, of long-range weapons being fired from Ukraine uh, into Russia. So 
what does that look like, you know, on the ground? I mean, they, they demilitarize it, but isn't that going to involve some sort of occupation? I mean, isn't that going to involve some sort of regime change there? You know, because that was always, you know, one of the things that was speculated about, you know, that they're going to have to get rid of this cancer, this uh, Zelensky regime, um, and literally be able to put a stop to any of these weapons coming in and this uh, constant, because this will just go on and on and on. I mean, it'll go on for years. And if they've got long-range weapons coming in there that can reach Russia, this is a complete headache and it's a complete security threat. So Putin has announced that that's, that's what the plan will be, that they are going to have to demilitarize that zone um, and... Uh, you know, it's an updated plan by the thing. They said they need, they need to create a larger demilitarized zone to quote Putin. Um, so that he said it'll stop the threat from weapons supplied to Ukraine by the West um, being able to reach uh, Russian territory. Yeah. So if you're demilitarizing the zone, it means, it means you're going to have to occupy it in some shape or form. I mean, you're going to have to first of all destroy the military and then you're going to have to make sure that you can, you know, maintain that it remains that way, you know. Yeah, so I mean, if you look at the uh, a ten year old map of Ukraine, what, what you see, uh, Crimea, long gone. You see uh, Zaporozhye, not Zaporozhye. Uh, you see, uh, well, Zaporozhye, Kherson, and the entirety of uh, Donetsk and Lugansk that's already been annexed by Russia, and most of that area under Russian control. And then you've got another five uh, oblasts or regions or provinces. Uh, in, such as uh, Kharkov and uh, and Odessa, Kharkov in the the east and Odessa in the 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 south, and that whole area between them. That's that's that's. There's no doubt that Russia is going to leave that behind. And then you've got the the central part of the country, which doesn't. Uh, there's just nothing between those areas and Kiev except for agricultural land, flat agricultural land which would be very easily overrun. Um, and so that, you know, the, if this goes on much longer, that area is gone. You already are having more and more open talk about moving the the capital from Kiev to Lvov. You're, you're getting that. So you, you might wind up with Russia taking over, say, two-thirds. And Putin has, has said, kind of hinted, that he wouldn't necessarily be opposed to Poland, Hungary, and Romania taking over parts of uh, Ukraine. The thing is, there are parts of Ukraine that he doesn't want. There are parts of Ukraine where you've got this extreme nationalism you were talking about. Way down on the levee in old Alabama, there's Daddy and Mammy, there's Ephraim and Sammy on a moonlight night. You can find them all while they're waiting. The banjos are singing, fading. What's that to saying? Oh, what's that to saying? The while they keep playing, I'm humming and swaying. It's the good ship, Robert E. Lee, that's come to carry the cotton away. Watch him shoving along. See them. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, 
which was so serious he almost died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable, he tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hi, Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 Carcass Drop and Lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation. But today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Open Gangnam Style. Taking over parts of uh, Ukraine. The thing is, there are parts of Ukraine that he doesn't want. There are parts of Ukraine where you've got this extreme nationalism that you were talking about, and it and Putin would rather not digest it uh, as as part of of Russia. Uh, and so it may wind up that he might be able to accept um, its annexation by say. Poland, which would be which would annex the, the bulk of it, um, and then it's Poland's problem. Or what I kind of think is more likely is you, you get a rump Ukrainian state that um, where Russia will always exert um, a fair amount of of leverage. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're pretty much at the end of of um, my part of the show. 
I still wanted to talk about Victoria Newland some, and then we've got we've got more things to go on. But uh, I just want to remind everybody that uh, that this conversation will continue on your show. So, what's the time of your show on Saturday? Uh, Ten a.m. Central, eleven Eastern. Okay. Any final thoughts for for part part one of this uh, recording? Uh, I was just going to say that that scenario is going to feed into this. Uh, this narrative of the West that, you know, Putin's marching to the West. And of course, they keep fueling it. It's a kind of a cart before the horse because Putin's been very clear. His main priority is to protect Russia. And so you've got all these military drills and all this talk of, you know, the German defense minister warns of, you know, war with Russia between five and eight years. The Dutch head of the NATO military committee, possibility of war with Russia over the next 10 years. And then the British chief warns of conscription. Um, you know, we may not have to be fighting the Russians. The Russians are coming. But they keep invoking by sending the weapons in. But it's feeding into this narrative. It's like a cart before the horse thing. It's like, no, if, you, if you'd actually listen to the guy's security uh, concerns and stop pouring in weapons, including lo- long, longer-range weapons, he wouldn't be marching west. But, you know, to ignorant audiences, this will be – they'll ignore all that. Because Putin, you can't, you can't believe a word Putin says. He's a liar, you see. So it's all, he's always lying. So this is always just, ah, you see, he says he doesn't want to move west, but now he's moving further and further west. And once he's, once he's finished with Ukraine, then he's coming from, for the, uh, the Baltic nations. And so it's very dangerous, you know? Yeah. And, and of course, what people need to realize is the only person who was party to the Minsk agreements that was committed to the Minsk agreements was Putin and the Minsk agreements would have, would have, uh, left Ukraine intact with the exception of Crimea, which would have been resolved later. Uh, if if the, if the talks that took place in Turkey in, uh, March, 2017, uh, 2022, uh, that would have left, um, you know, with the exception of the Donbass, it would have left the rest of Ukraine intact. Putin, it, it, Putin has been uh, minimal in his demands and reasonable. Uh, the longer this goes on, though, the the more things change. The longer this goes on, the more. Uh, it, so it's not that Putin is trying to push forward. Putin keeps trying to resolve it. But the longer this goes on, the more he's he's kind of sucked into going forward. But yeah, trade is the aggressor, and this is the feeds into the narrative. But you know, so what can he do? Um, yeah. Well, we'll finish this on the other side, uh, on your show, which is at what time? Well, I'll do the intro and, um, but what time does, what time on Saturday does your show start? Uh, 10 a.m. Central, uh, 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, 4 p.m. over here in the UK and 5 p.m. And I'll be back again next week with more exciting episodes of National Google Radio. Stay tuned for the Dankoff Report coming up next. Patrick will be featured during the first half of the show.
Hebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 